The sounds of Jim Kerr and Simple Minds then must mean it's alive and kicking in the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than Gordon the Gopher and Ed the Duck. Remember them? I'm Ash Road and tonight we're continuing our countdown to the team of the decade pod by discussing the best defenders of the 90s. So that means no William Prunay, so I'm sorry about that. As you may have heard, we've worked our way backwards and done the Strikers pod a few weeks ago and then last week we did midfielders. So if you log on to ak90s.co.uk, you can check out our final shortlist of those which we will then bring forward to the final pod of the year on the 21st of December and then we'll pick our team of the decade. If you want to listen to those pods and all the previous shows, you can go to the website, SoundCloud and of course on iTunes where if you hit the subscribe button on iTunes, you'll be able to get your 90s football fix downloaded to your device every week without doing a thing. And if you're particularly, feeling particularly festive, you can also drop us a five-star rating, as that would make us a very Merry Christmas indeed. And even write a little review for us if you've got, you know, if you'd like the 90s memories or if you wanted to mention anything on the pod that you wanted to, to say and, and liked or disliked about it, stick it on iTunes, give us a rating, it helps us out tremendously. Talking of Christmas as well, a reminder that if you follow us on Twitter, at AK90s or on Facebook... We're right now doing our 90s football advent calendar where every day we post a sort of Christmas image with a 1990s footballing twist, usually a personality from that decade. Uh, for instance, today is Steve Ball with full Santa gear from his Wolves in England heyday. And every day I'll be sticking some sort of silly, ridiculous 90s person dressed in Santa gear. Uh, the sort of thing these pro footballers of today don't do anymore. So check out for that on the Twitter and Facebook. And as it's Christmas, yes, here it comes. Why not check out the book Alive and Kicking, the ultimate book of 90s nostalgia, where this podcast spawned from. Uh, there's a link to Amazon on our Twitter profile, and I'll stick it on the Twitter feed later on where you can buy the book. And I believe it's just the bargain price of £9.99. So check that out on there. Our Twitter again is AK90s, same on Facebook as well. But that, uh, the book actually gives me a nice segue to our first guests because they were present at the book launch many, well, a couple of years ago now, a 90s football kids, which I believe you guys did quite well on, if, if I remember right. Yeah, I think so. I don't think I can take full credit for that. I think I had a team can. of savants, yeah, 90s. Yeah, firstly, um, it's sports PR person and Celtic fan, which would be interesting because we haven't won there, Martin Gritton. Good evening. Good evening, Ash. And I, over on my other side, we have a, a Google business photographer, I think. I know that's how I uh, introduce you. And uh, May United fan, Matt Wing. That's me, hello. And splitting them up in the middle, we welcome back one of our uh, regulars, matchball appearance, your gleaming hat-trick appearance for MA writer and West Ham fan, Ralph Welsh. Good evening. Thanks for having me back, Ash. That was good, good. You're always welcome. Uh, here's a few things that happened in the 90s then before we get onto the few CVs. Uh, on 8th of December 1996, John Scowles turns down Leeds and joins Liverpool. On the 8th of December 1998, David Batty rejoins Leeds from Newcastle in a deal worth £4.4 million. On the 9th of December 1994, <laughs> Spurs are docked six points after Alan Sugars is accused of financial irregularities. I knew I was going to struggle to get that word out. Uh, 10th of December 1994 Matt Letizia scores one of the goals of the decade against Blackburn which if you go back and listen to our goals of the decade pod you can hear us wax lyrical about that one and on the 13th of December 1995 oh, <coughs> excuse me 1995 Ireland missed out on Euro 96 after Holland beat them in a playoff thanks to a Patrick Cliver brace a striker we didn't actually mention on our uh, 90s strikers pod but another brilliant name from the decade there in Patrick Cliver so we're going to do our CVs then uh, Ralph as you've been on before you're on your hat trick appearance that means goals um so best west ham goal from the 90s well uh i I tried to look back through it and i have to say that the 90s wasn't littered with amazing west ham goals if i'm (laughs) being honest i was thinking which one are you going to choose yeah yeah, it it was a really tough choice so i've chosen one that i think kind of uh summed up the 90s for us in in way shape or form and that was it was tottenham away night february 1996 
And uh, we just signed possibly the most attractive footballer on planet Earth on loan from Sporting Lisbon. His name was Darnie. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he made his debut at White Hart Lane. Awful, awful weather. Rain <laughs> chucking it down. Um, you know, wind howling. And he's up front with Ian Dowie. So he must have... <laughs> <laughs> the contrast. He must have walked into that dressing room and thought, my God, what have I signed up for here? <laughs> and um, we, we got a corner early on. Julia Dix won a header. Ian Walker parried it. And Darnie sort of unwittingly nodded it in and we, we held on for a 1-0 win and um, it, was, it was a kind of moment where we just started to get, get a bit of that foreign invasion that was coming into the mm. Premier League and we started to get these really good players um, and we thought my god we've got a brilliant brilliant player here in Darnie and then it transpired he only played 8 more games for us <laughs> Uh, and he was far more prolific in Faces nightclub than he was on the football pitch I've got a really vague memory of him maybe is he playing an FA Cup tie when it snowed is that Darnie? Did he? No, that was Hugo Porfirio. Oh, there we go. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, another brilliant name. We, we called it the market on random Portuguese. Random Portuguese yeah, in the mid nineties. You say Ian Dowie. I have to just say this: my random memory from the nineties about Ian Dowie is, and this is no offence to Ian. This is just what happened on in, in uh, at QPR at Loftus Road. We just got him on uh, no in a swap deal for Trevor Sinclair. Him and Keith Rowland came to QPR just at the end of the decade, and he came on and made his debut against Cholton. And no, again, no disrespect to Charlton, I've got like friends of Charlton fans, but they're not known for their sort of their chance or very being very comical. But that, that day, he came on the pitch. I think we were one 0 down to Charlton at home, and they sang, "You've got Ian Dowie, you've got Ian Dowie," and it kind of summed up the deal that we got from West Ham at that point. Um, but anyway, <laughs> moving on to your best goal of the '90s, then overall. Uh, well, we've had loads to choose from, and I thought I'd go for one that perhaps we hadn't mentioned on this uh, podcast before. And in fact, it wasn't even a goal. During a game Ooh. Oh, So there, there's a bit of intrigue for you What on earth are you talking about I'm going to go back to Euro 96 Penalty shootout against Spain uh-huh. uh, You know England have just We thrashed Holland in the game before We thought we were going to walk it against Spain We didn't We held on We probably didn't even deserve a draw mm. We get to penalties After extra time And you're looking around for leaders And uh, then I think I think he was the third penalty And you look and suddenly There's Stuart Pearce Striding towards the pen- penalty area and the whole nation held its breath and you're thinking, oh my God, please, Scott, please, psycho, put this in. And of course he does it, he exercises the ghosts of uh, 1990 and pretty much the minute he put that penalty in, you knew there was no way we were going to lose that yeah. shootout. Yeah. And I just think it's one of the great, yes. great sporting moments of the 90s. Mm. And probably one of the one best of, celebrations as well. Oh, it was just so natural. Yeah. It was all that emotion. I think we all just sort of identified... We, did, we didn't want him to... Like, I think it would have been the same for us if he missed. Obviously we didn't want him to miss because it was England, but because it was Stuart Pearce and we'd felt what happened at 1990 it was that celebrate I think we felt as a collective didn't we for him and that kind of it's become iconic that image doesn't it yeah absolutely it was just a wonderful moment and uh, it's probably a moment that I'll probably never forget it was just tremendous no good moment good moment right moving on we're going back to our original CVs then um, let's do Matt first because we we've had a few Man United so I'm not going to do the, the sum up because it's pretty easy to sum up Man United's it's, 90s yeah, very you easy. can just kind of say glory, glory, yeah, glory exactly as the song goes so your favourite Man United player from the 90s then are you going to go for the obvious choice well there's so many <laughs> I had so many favourites who do you choose um Skulls, I think, goes down as my favourite United player mm. of all time. When it's tough, you've got Cantona, Giggs, Beckham, you've got and it's, Hughes was a big. Yeah. I mean, I loved Hughes, mm. um, but I think Skulls for me, just all round game. And you see how he's talked about, yeah, by play. You know, Spanish players talk about him in mm. such high regard. And, and think, Zidane, Zidane, always, well, Zidane. Yeah. yeah, you can't no bigger endorsement than mm. Zidane to say you're the finest midfielder of your generation. 
just couldn't tackle really though, could he? Well, you know, he knew what he was doing. <laughs> he always he knew. I think in the 90s, he was more that sort of a combative midfielder than he became sort of late in the 2000s where he was a bit more of a stylized footballer. But I think he was a, his tackling was actually better when he first came through, if I remember yeah, right. Yeah, I think right. as, he, as he wised up a bit, he realised his legs were going a little Yeah. Bit. He thought, you know, I'll just leave one here and there and... Like you see, again, you listen to a lot of players talk now on various radio and stuff, and you do. They all say he knew what he was doing. He was leaving <laughs> his foot in. He was, you know, he was a wise player, and I think good choice, good choice. And then overall, outside of Old Trafford, who would you go for, for the best player of the nineties for you? I mean, again, there's so many obvious. I mean, my favourite personally was uh, original Ronaldo. Yeah, great one. Original Ronaldo. Yeah, I mean, had everything. Yeah, absolutely everything. Pace, like you wouldn't believe him. I remember him. You know, he went up against some of the finest defenders in Italy, which mm. they were telling defenders renowned for being hard and you know, didn't didn't miss much, and he was making them look silly. I remember a thing against Lazio when he just tied Nesta up in circles. Yeah, Nesta wasn't too bad. Yeah, who we'll probably talk about later. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And I think we said on this pod before, if he went for his injuries, I think we'd be talking about Ronaldo in the same breath as the like of you know Pele, Maradona. Absolutely, because he was the well, El Phenomenon, as they was called. You know, great choices. A few of them have chosen him, and it's no wonder. And then we're going then north of the border for the first time. Yes, we can uh, sum up Celtic in the nineties. Go on then. Depressing. <laughs> it can't like, have been. I must came have through. Been. You would not believe in, of, a, of, a, of a league that has two teams in it. We were the second best every time. Like so in, in the, the midst lane. of nine in a row, weren't we? It was horrendous. Yeah. It was horrendous. Uh, we came out of the funk of the fog when Henrik Larsson emerged. I was like, "Who's this guy?" You know, we'd we'd signed a few incredible strikers we had the, the we had the kind of perennial European transfer that no one else wanted in the Premier League so we'd have Viduka who'd yep. become amazing mm. we'd have um, the Canio who's yep. sensational Van Hoydonk but this is it yeah. so he's the boy yeah. like 95, 96 Van Hoydonk was just absurd the guy was you know if I had to pick a goal with any one of his free kicks again Scoring against a, a Scottish Premier League goalkeeper, a Scottish Premier goalkeeper compared to the English Premier goalkeepers, it's not like watching women's football because I'm certainly not going to become misogynistic <laughs> on this that show. Guy, no. But it's, you know, the guy was sweeping them in from anywhere. And when he went to Forest, he was so brilliant. Mm. But um, I did love watching him in particular, just being that more powerful, you know. The Canio, the guy, I'm sure, and I'm sure the, we, uh, the West, West Ham, Ham fan, yeah, yeah, West Ham fans will share that. The Gale of the Canio was. You know, paramount wherever he went, but uh, yeah, Van Hoydonk just kind of came out of the blue. Mm. I, I think Van, Van Hoydonk as well. He did. I mean, he went to Nottingham Forest, didn't he, and went on strike for most of it. But the time he was <laughs> on the pitch, he was a phenomenal footballer. And I think he was that Dutch era, like we mentioned earlier, Cliver as well. No, it's a good choice. And Decant, he did have some great strikers in the 90s, didn't he? And, and but they were all kind of that. that it was like the MLS teams where they just have one guy who's really yeah. good and then the rest of them are just made up. Celtic's team was a little bit like that, whereas Rangers had this kind of embarrassment of riches because they Gascoigne, flagrantly, yeah. um, they did something with the rules where they could just pay for anyone <laughs> at any time an unlimited amount. So unfortunately, they're paying the price for that now and Scottish football suffering. But um, unfortunately, Celtic, yeah. You mentioned the goalkeepers there. This is a completely yeah. offset question of Scottish football with someone who probably watches it more than anyone else at the table. Is Scottish football as a sort of standard was it better in the 90s than it is now as an overall? I think it has to be seen as better because of the, the quality of the... I think you're dragged up by your bootstraps by teams like Celtic and Rangers because everyone has to be better to compete. Yeah. Um, when I was playing myself in uh, like Plymouth, we had a couple of lads that signed from Dundee United, so they were coming from Scottish Prem to League Two. 
and I'd speak to them about the games and they were like you stood on the pitch at Celtic and you'd shout to your teammate and they can't even hear you because 10 yards away there's 60,000 people making a noise it's such a great atmosphere you're not used to that you're playing Dunfermline you're playing Airdrie you're playing Motherwell mm. it's not the same so it's yeah. kind of this real discrepancy but European leagues are like that you know Portugal or there's a few Scandinavian ones where there's always the one or two standout teams yeah. in Scotland unfortunately we're like that mm. but we could even say as far as the league couldn't you in these days but we'll keep, exactly. we'll yeah. keep it 90s and your favourite player overall then of the 90s I'd, I'd, again, I'd say I'd say Van Hooydonk from that, but overall, uh, sorry, including English league, Ian Wright was for me as a striker. I just <laughs> oh, there was some resistance. <laughs> Grimace there from, from the, the other side. Right yeah, uh, the guy. It's just his inventiveness as a striker yep. and his just pr- prolificity. Just good, you know, scoring goals left, right, and centre. Just uh, with both feet, head, inventive poacher. Brilliant striker, mm. enjoy watching. Had a spell at Celtic, didn't he? In the yeah, yeah, we 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 had them all in the kind the of twilight, pant, the panto the degree, phase yeah, of the exactly, careers. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't have a Jimmy Floyd, Les Ferdinand. I've got to mention it. I know it happened today, and if they had played up front for Keeper of the nineties, imagine that. But no, they were managerial duo now. But let's keep it nineties. And we're talking defenders tonight, as I mentioned. We've got a brilliant guest on the phone who we'll speak to in just a bit. Um, but as we did with the midfielders last week, I've got in front of me kind of all the players that made the teams of the season. Uh, the PFA teams of the season let me just quickly run through them and then what I'll do I'll just pass the list round and we'll just pick out a couple of players that we wanted to mention from each that I can see David Bardsley screaming out at me and one of them that I'll just have to mention <laughs> hashtag QPR mention um, so there we just quickly go through these 1990 Dixon Walker Hanson Pierce 91 Dixon Walker Wright Pierce 92 Rob Jones Pallister Walker Pierce Stuart Pierce early 90s coming up 93 Good. Bardsley as I said McGrath who won the PFA overall award Pallister Dariga 94, Kelly Pallister, Adams Irwin. 95, Rob Jones again, Hendry Pallister, Hen- oh, I've got Colin Hendry twice there, and Graham Lasso. 96, Neville Adams, Ethiogon Wright. Says a lot about the Aston Villa team that season. 97, Neville Adams, Wright, and Bjornaby, unbelievably. 98, Neville Pallister, Hon Hendry, and Lasso. And 99, Neville Campbell, Yapstam, and Dennis Irwin. So I'm going to start with the, the Man United fan who's probably going to pick a Man United player out of this list anyway, as people do, if you want to have a tickle of that um, list and pick a couple of players. I mean, I, for instance, we had someone on uh, Facebook earlier mention Dennis Irwin as, as a stand-up point. I mean, Mr. Consistent. That's what Seven and a half out of ten every week. Yeah. <laughs> without fail. I mean, Fergie said that himself. You knew what you were getting. I mean, it was, it was coming towards the end of Irwin's tenure at the club and it was... And it was he was seeing Neville, in, you know, the both well, yeah, both the Nevilles coming together. Um, I think Gary actually went on to do more, really. Yeah. He's very, he's, he's very opinionated, and you know. Mm. I think favorites. with Dennis Irwin as well, the story we said on this pod a thousand times about him nearly joining Leeds in the Cantona deal, but he was Mister Consistent. And one thing I always remember about Dennis Irwin, he was a fantastic defender, but boy, could he hit free kick! Oh, free kicks were wonderful. Pens. It was at the time you look at it, you had the players around the ball you had then. It yeah. Was, it was, four or five you could have hit you think oh, wonderful who's going to take this yeah, it's it was, exciting it's like a penalty giving him that look lot, at it now it? it's, you know, they knock it sideways <laughs> <laughs> what you'd give for a Dennis Irwin raging down there Same well I always remember watching uh, Eric Can- that film with Eric Cantona was it um, looking for Eric and they, there's a moment in that and he talks up and I ask him oh, what's your favourite goal what's your favourite moment and he talks about a pass um, I can't remember who Man United were playing but the, the pass was actually to, to Dennis Irwin who came Shit. yeah marauding yeah. down the left hand side and finished the goal off and, and I always think you know Dennis Irwin's always sort of thought of as this consistent left back but in the you know in the future when we talk when we will talk later on about Roberto Carlos and players like that he he would he used to get forward quite a lot he also scored another wonderful goal a team goal that they scored against Crystal Palace about a 25 pass move was that in the black kit 
I think it was. Yeah. Well, it might have been yellow and green. It might have been yellow and green. Because usually my memory goes the by new kits. Kit, I'm the sure. New, of yeah, that's how I remember everything. What were they in that kit? But I remember it was Fergie loved it because it was it was what he wanted from his side. It was pass, 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 and Cantona got it little one two, and it was through to Irwin. He tucks the ball away, and it was. I remember hearing on the right. I was listening on the radio at the time, thinking, "I can't wait to see this." Mm. Yeah. Again, it was Irwin at the end of it. I mean, I think now it just doesn't happen now. Fergie's teams always chuck players forward it went for it you know, left back scoring a, you know, a 25 day. pass move yeah exactly yeah we'll, we'll stick with May 9 because there's a few May 9 names obviously on that list from the 90s uh, Gareth Pallister was a name that surprised me that came up quite a lot but I think again and, and probably in, in now seen as an underrated player but I think so I think it, part of, you just always think of Bruce and Pallister together yeah. I think you never really think of on their own but I think what again what most of the players say is it's his speed that always gets underlooked. Mm. No one ever really realises how quick he was. You think he looks like cumbersome, he looks slow, but you know, looking back at it now, you never really see anyone, never, no one really outran him. Yeah. Mm. I mean, that's you know, partly due to the fact that he was playing for a really good team as well. Yeah, yeah, mm. really. And he got protected, he wasn't getting isolated like, you know, again, they are now. Mm. It's amazing to think both of them never got really the England recognition that they really probably deserve. No, Bruce more so, I think. Yeah. I mean, to never get a cap, especially seeing the way that caps mm. are chucked out nowadays. Oh, they'd walk into the England. Yeah. They would walk into the England. No offence to Chris Smalling or John Stones to a certain extent, maybe, but, you know, one for the future, but I think they, you could pretty good. They walk into the squad. That's a complete given. Six centre-halves now, you think, you think of them really. I mean, Jack Yelka, I mean, they, you know, good for Everton, but... Is he top top international yeah. class? We, we had this in the strikers pub when we were talking about. You looked at the, the pool of strikers that they had to choose from in the nineties, and it's the same with defenders. I think we we're at the back end of an era now. I'm try, I always keep it nineties, but I like to compare eras anyway. That we're kind of lacking defenders where we had so many before, and the nineties was just sort of evidence of it as we look there, especially at Man United. And it's unbelievable. I see the name Dorigo. I mean, I mean, I know he played for Leeds and I'm a United fan, but I used to love Dorigo. Mm. He's a wonderful player. I mean, again, I, there was such a plethora of left backs. Yeah, full backs in full general, backs, actually. Yeah, because yeah. you think I mean, Rob Jones is there mentioned a couple of times. Someone who had to retire late. Very under. I was there at his England debut. Remember, someone I always used to rate ridiculously hard was El Barrett, another consistent oh, yeah, yeah. right back. And I think yeah. I quote Ryan Giggs. He did an interview in four four two many many years ago, and he was asked who's the hardest defenders that he's ever faced, and he said Paolo Maldini, who I'm sure we'll talk about later, and El Barrett. I mean, there's not a bigger yeah. kind of, so, you know. He's had great battles with Rob Jones, oh, Ryan Giggs. Yeah, he, Rob Jones. Gary Kelly as well. They were the two, Another name on that list, the, yeah. Two of the right-backs that he really had. No, so let's pass the list on to Ralph to see where, if you want to pick up a couple of names off that list. I mean, we don't sort of, I don't think there's many hammers on there, but... No, no, no. Um, <laughs> t- Tim Breaker doesn't seem Tim to have made this. <laughs> that that swap know, deal. I'll go back to that swap deal. We had yeah, him and all. You, you really you, done you, us on that you one. You sure you copied and pasted this? All right, <laughs> Tim's not on this. Yeah, you know, sorry. Most reliable yeah. right back in you know in English football. Absolutely. You talk about this. <laughs> I don't no, see. No, I don't no see Julian Dixon down there. Touch line like Timmy Breaker. Magnificent. If you had 0.6 million left for your fantasy team and that was all you could afford, it was always Tim Michael Meeker, Tim Breaker. I mean, you say Dennis Irwin was seven and a half out of ten. Tim Breaker was a solid six. <laughs> solid six. Every so we can ask no problem. I don't know, coming into this podcast, we'd spend at least two minutes on about Tim Breaker. Go on, look at the list. Um, I, I, the name that sort of, uh, sort of uh, jumped out for me was Des Walker, because yeah. I think people forget quite how good Des yes, Walker actually absolutely. was. Never no, be him. Yeah, Never be as him. the song goes. Yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, that's it. At the start of that 90s period, he was astonishingly quick. Yeah. You know, no one, no one beat him in a one-on-one. And he, he basically made a career out of chasing the ball back towards his own goal 
and either kicking it out of play or passing it back to the keeper who picked it up. Um, he, and I think the problem for Des was that he, he obviously had that terrible, terrible move to Sampdoria. Yeah, which, never quite which worked just went out. All wrong. Yeah. You know, the guy wasn't cut out for European football. It didn't work because what, the times were changing. They expected English centre halves when he came back. You know, Terry Venables was sort of back in ch- mm. was in charge of England. He wanted players to come out from the back yeah. with the ball. Uh, Gareth Southgate, who obviously Gareth got, then got more caps. Cultured, yeah. And you know, Des just couldn't pass the ball. But you wanted someone to block it. You wanted someone yeah. to be in the right place to head it away, or like I say, just knock it out into Rosehead and allow you to regroup. Yeah. Des was that guy. And uh, people forget that even after he came back from Sampdoria, he had I think five or six really good years at Sheffield, at Sheffield yeah. Wednesday, and they loved him there. Mm. He was a real stalwart, and he played until his late thirties. So I think he gets forgotten quite how good he yeah. was. Probably a guy who was stuck between two eras of football. When the, the era where we liked our stoppers and then when we liked people who added a little bit more culture yeah. and started the game from the back. So uh, Des Walker for me. And then uh, the other one, probably because he's the only footballer who was around my height, was Alan Wright <laughs> at Aston Villa. And I, I Another Mr get... Reliable though, let's be fair. I don't know if you remember, but in the old uh, the Merlin sticker albums, they used to list their height. And I, and I go yeah. down it and I think, oh my God, that guy's actually the same height as me. This is good. Maybe one day <laughs> I could Terry be Phelan. a football yeah. Oh yeah, Terry Feelan, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, Alan Wright had a lovely left peg. He did, he, yeah. He had a really cultured left peg and that Villa team towards that back end of the 90s. Yeah. I think uh, that's that year, that, I think that's the, t- the year they won the, the League Cup, so that's why I that's think right. a couple of names are in there. United, and, yeah, they did. Uh, Ugo yeah. Ehiog was uh, in there with him. And, and Ugo's one of those players as well that was uh, a fine, fine Premier League defender. Yeah. Didn't quite make it at international level, but no. still did a did, really good job for his club. played in Sven's first game, I remember bizarrely. I know that was not, not in the 90s, mm. but yeah. I think Gavin McCann played yeah, this. Yeah, Gavin McCann. When we do the noughties point, wow. pod, we can talk about that's, Gavin McCann, because yeah. that's, a, that's a very much random name from that era. But no, Des Walker especially is mm. someone I very much rate. I think you're right, Italian 90, you think him and Butcher at the heart of that defence along with Mark Wright as well I think they were definitely big names and Des Walker like the song as Matt said as the song went you'll never beat Des Walker and for a period in the early 90s you didn't he was the best probably one of the best in Europe so yeah good shout Martin who are you looking at well I'd like to call you all on that Des Walker show because <laughs> there's only there's one game you're quite right known, but I, I was a big fan of Des Walker that Sheffield Wednesday team was another anomaly of the it was a beautiful football inside in, like, in the know, one in the early 90s yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. the, the Chris Waddle had fantastic Warhurst playing yeah. defence up front John doesn't matter <laughs> just, like, just play him anywhere John, John Harks <laughs> give a shout to the Americans yeah. but I can't mention Roy Wigley I'll mention John Harks as a Scotsman there was a night when Holland played you guys I might be at Wembley Overmars were walked yeah. past yeah. he made moonwalked past Des Walker <laughs> and I just went his career is done because like it, it Des, it, like Des career's career was built on running back towards his own yeah. goal as we yeah. just said like at pace Overmars just like kind of just just Pepe Le Pew past him just like just <laughs> floated past him then crossed it in and I think again they had Bergkamp Clive they had an amazing yeah. team at the time but I was like that's what it's a tough because again in Italy you don't quite get those strikers bursting through no, I think you, that was, was an more, Ajax team there was more time from him on the ball and that was an Ajax, like we said Des wasn't that sort of player absolutely and that Ajax team then became the European footballing yep. kind of blueprint it for did. a while didn't absolutely, it absolutely yeah um, but yeah and in terms of the other centre halves I was um, 
kind of that cookie cutter of nineties uh, centre half. We talk about you know the the blood and guts centre half, so like Tony Adams or Colin Hendry or like Pallister, kind of in that mould. But I think Matt pointed to the fact that they had such good players in front of them that yeah. they defended them. You know, so it's. it's it's, I love she likes the gang of Bjorn Abbey's on there I can't yeah, I'm not offended so, to Bjorn Abbey, <laughs> but he was probably the name on that that shocked me that got into the team of the season as a left back <laughs> I know incredible didn't we have another one Hegan I think Hegan was in the sort of more sort of I think he came on this is a good fact uh, Stephen Gerrard Verhard Hegan he came on for him on his Liverpool debut oh, really? Stephen Gerrard but yeah he's another one they had some random sort of scandals with Bjorn Torben Peakney oh yeah he was another one we would mention there a couple of times. You sort of wonder with Bjornaby what side, what sort of kind of accuracy rate they had in the club shop for the for the name on the back of his shirt. <laughs> because, that's a hell of a name yeah, as well. Bjornaby, it? it was like your worst nightmare on yeah. countdown, wasn't it? Yeah. If you got Bjornaby, you thought, oh, this, there's no way of making it. It's like in modern day football yeah. when I try and spell Wojciech Szczesny of, of Arsenal. Like, well, well said. Well, I know that, that's taken a lot of practice as well because <laughs> working for a kids' football magazine to try and spell that perfectly is really hard. I'm so glad he's gone online to Roma because I don't. Have to talk about him for a second. You could just imagine the, the, the kind of shop assistant in the Liverpool club shop saying, Are you sure you don't just want Stig? Yeah. Hey, what about Stig? We'll do you a deal on Stig. Yeah. What about Ince? <laughs> Ince is a good name. <laughs> it's only four letters as well. I bet all the dads wanted the four letter name. We've got didn't this they? young lad called Owen. Yeah, he's going to be better. good, trust me. We had, uh, we, we had someone earlier in the, in the season, actually, uh, Charlie, who came on and talked about Andre Kinchelskis, who's another name oh. that was like, you know, shoulder to shoulder, and it was number 14 as well. So to, just to top it off, the, you needed two numbers yeah. as well. So that's one. That's part of my youth, actually, Kinchelskis. Yeah. Uh, when Kinchelskis and Smichael joined at a, sim- a similar time, a friend of mine promised to teach me how to spell Kinchelskis. <laughs> as long as I promised to teach him how to spell Smichael. I still can't spell that as well, and I have to write back Ashworth Michael. We're up. Talking of Liverpool, that needs a nice segue to our guest today. Um, he is well, pretty much a legend down at Anfield and uh, played in the 80s but also in the 90s for Liverpool in sort of the early period before managing and then going on to play for Sheffield Wednesday alongside Des Walker I believe as well he's former Scotland international as well he's Steve Nicholl Steve welcome to Alive and Kicking thanks for coming on the show not a problem we're going to take you back to the 90s now and 1990 of course was the last time seems a long time ago now that Liverpool won the league what do you remember of that team and, and what, what I suppose Liverpool fans the last great title winning team Um, to be honest, the thing I remember most is that we didn't play as well as we had done the previous year. Hmm. Uh, at the same time, that seems that seems a little bit picky when I think now that we haven't won Liverpool hasn't won the league since then. Um, I just I just remember that it was quite comfortable. Yeah, um, that, that's really the two things. You know, we won it comfortably. It felt. But it also didn't feel as we didn't quite reach our heights in some in a lot of games that we had done the previous season. And, uh, indeed, well, that's an interesting in take on it. Um, it. Two years later, you were in the FA Cup final as well when things started to transitional, but still a great cup final win. What do you remember about the, the 1992 cup final against Sunderland? Uh, it's probably the easiest cup final anybody's <laughs> ever played and won. Um, <laughs> I'm off the top of my head, I don't think we had a shot at goal. I don't think Bruce had a save to make. Uh, it was pretty much we had all the possession in the game, and you know, going in at half time, we we just kind of knew that it was a matter of time before we we got ourselves ahead. You know, the first half we totally dominated it, 
Uh, we should have had a penalty. I remember Mike got brought down. But at half time, it was really, you know, everyone was, were, were basically talking about, you know, if we let this slip against this team, you know, we're, <laughs> we're never, we're never going to get an easier chance of winning an FA Cup. And, and sure enough, second half, we just again dominated the game, scored a couple of goals, uh, and really won it in a canter. Mm. Does that make it a different type of experience in an FA Cup final when you when you know you're so much better than the team that you're facing? Whereas obviously in the 80s you battled to Everton when it was kind of more of an even playing field. What do you enjoy more? Sorry, see that again. Do you, do you enjoy more that kind of cup final, knowing that you, you, you the better team should win, or do you prefer kind of the cup finals of the 80s where Liverpool played and teams were much more even, like the, in the 80s against Everton? <laughs> it's fa- it's actually far more enjoyable when it's a, a fight and a battle and a, yeah. a you know going through and everything else. Um, at the same time, I'm not <laughs> I'm not going to give the medal back and ask for a tougher game. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, it's a little in, in a sort of perverted way. It's, it's you get more gratification out of being pushed as far as you can, kind of thing. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, uh, that cup final was was basically about one team that looked totally inexperienced as far as cup finals were concerned, and, and another team who, I mean, just had more experience and knew what to do. You know, we just we were so far ahead in so many things. They obviously were in the the old second division at the time, uh, man for man. We obviously, ability-wise, were, were much better. Uh, and experience-wise, I mean, you're talking chalk and cheese. So, mm-hmm. no, I mean, again, you've got to be careful because, you know, we were the team that lost to Wimbledon who you could say those same things about. Yeah. So it is possible. Uh, but, yeah, it, it was a canter. Um, but, you know, I'll take it. Absolutely taking it, yeah. You were obviously part of the, kind of a transitional period then for Liverpool because you'd been part of the team of the of the late 80s and early 90s that won things. And then you saw the youngsters coming through, like Steve McManaman and Robbie Fowler. I mean, from your point of view at that point, did you think these guys would, would continue to take Liverpool to that level or could you sense that the transition was, was, wasn't slightly as good as the previous Liverpool sides? Well, I think I think the players you mentioned there, the likes of Marlon and Fowler, were, were absolutely, um, you know, physically and mentally, ability-wise, able, you know, to 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 move into the shoes of the, the previous twenty years and teams winning it. But you know, you need you need a whole eleven. It's it's not until you know when you when you when you're in a side that's that good, you, you mm-hmm. don't understand how good it is. You're too busy playing and. And concentrating on the next game and all the rest of it. It's not until things start to change that you understand how actually good these teams were. Um, and of course, you have to you have to keep replacing great players, and that's not easy. It's not easy to do. Um, and I guess I guess around that period, we just didn't manage to to replace the players that were coming to the end of their careers. Mm. Yourself, you moved on to Notts County where you had a stab at management before you came back to the Premier League with Sheffield Wednesday. Why, why, was, Sheffield, why was it Sheffield Wednesday you went to and, and what do you remember about your time at Hillsborough? Uh, 
It was actually a no-brainer. I, I had gone to North Kent with Howard Kendall um, to play and to coach. And, you know, at that stage, I was looking at the next stage of my career, which was in coaching and management. And it seemed the, the obvious thing to do, uh, particularly when it was Howard Kendall. Uh, a real football man. I mean, who better to learn off of? <clears throat> Unfortunately, it went pear shapes pretty quickly. Um, and of course, having just left the Premier League and then three months later finding yourself in the old, set, old third division, it was a bit of a shock to the system. Uh, but buckled down. Um, and Colin Murphy, who came in, you know, said that you know if he if had any inquiries, he wouldn't stay, you know, stand them away. So, as I said, I buckled down and played well and got myself fit. And when the offer came from Sheffield Wednesday, so it was a no-brainer when David Clay asked me to go. Mm, and you had a, a famous win at Anfield while you were at Sheffield Wednesday as well in, your, in the twilight of your career. Is that something that stands out for you at your, your time at Wednesday? No, it was always strange playing against Liverpool. It was always, it was always strange. Mm. Whether it was at Anfield or at Hillsborough, it was... Very hard to describe, you know. Um, you don't know what to do. You don't know whether to celebrate. You don't know whether to. It's just a strange situation to find yourself in. You know, having spent so long in Liverpool and then playing against them uh, both at Anfield and, and then them coming down to Sheffield. Uh, it was it was weird, but no, I had a good had a good uh, two and a half season at Sheffield Wednesday. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, you did, and absolutely. And then you finally, at the end of the decade, you you moved to America, which is really interesting because you were there right at the start before kind of the MLS really started to to get popular. What sort of state was was the American game in when you went there in in nineteen ninety nine? Um, it was basically in a it was it was in a, just in a growing phase. I mean, it, it's actually in a growing phase still. Um, in terms of where it wants to be, you know, MLS, um, you know, the owners and the board and everybody else, they, you know, they want to be one of the best leagues in the world. Um, I just happened to join it when I was a little further behind than it is, than it is today. Um, you know, the, it was just the only difference between now and then is the finances. You know, the, there's money available now to go and buy or get players the likes of Gerard. Um, that money wasn't there, really, when I started uh, in MLS. Um, I'm not, I'm not quite sure the actual standard of play is is better than it was when when I when I joined the MLS. And I think the fact that there's so many teams now. I mean, there's only mm. ten teams when I joined the MLS. Now there's what twenty two. Yeah. You know that means that means that a lot of the teams are watered down. Mm. So for me, the, the average player in MLS isn't as good as it was um, when I was involved in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, certainly your superstars and your top level players are, are, are up there, but I think your average your average player isn't isn't quite as good today as it was. Mm. That's an, in, an interesting point. Right, I just wanted to say that the team you took over were called the Boston Bulldogs. Is that correct? Yeah, that was a that was a minor league team uh, that, I, that I joined when I came here. Again. I was playing and coaching, mm. um, and then uh, eventually uh, took over the team as the head coach, and then I, I moved to New England Revolution a couple of years later. Mm. 
well, we'll see what happens in the MLS. But thank you so much for talking to us, Steve. It's great to share those memories. All right, no problem. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Great memories there from Steve sure. Nichol and one of the most Scottish men that I've ever spoke to, possibly. I could understand him, but he's, I'm, I don't think many of his American players would have understood him. But a great, great memories and great to speak to Steve. And talking to Scotsman, uh, before we move on to talk to some other bits about defenders, uh, we haven't mentioned it yet, but Martin used to be a professional yourself in the lower leagues. I did. Uh, for clubs such as... Such so as the, uh, the Plymouth Argyle, uh, Torquay United, uh, up to the Glamorous Grimsby, which was a wonderful... I absolutely loved up there. Um, played for Lincoln, um, moved across Macclesfield, had a great time there with, under Paul Ince, just uh, for two weeks before he left for MK Dons. I had some interesting tenures, but um, but no, it was great, and then ended up at Stockport with uh, Diddy Amman as gaffer. So in the 90s, as, as you were a striker as yeah, well, you would have come up against some defenders. Any names that stick out the, for you? The first season, the first season I ever had was, uh, I'd literally come out of uni, so mm. I'd signed from university for Plymouth, because uh, Plymouth couldn't afford real players at the time, <laughs> so they were signing students, and um, ended up playing these bizarre pre season friendlies against brilliant sides and the, some of the best defenders played uh, like Sunderland played against Emerson Tome who's just like Ooh, a colossus the big Brazilian um, yeah yeah he was, he, was, he was a massive guy uh, played against um, I remember lining up uh, Fulham were not a premiership team at the time but they signed everyone so they had yeah. Collymore Simon Coleman and Kit Simons from afar they're like they're like the Statue of Liberty they don't look that big until you get close mm. to them so they're like six foot five yeah. gigantic you know straight, I was like this is and I'd That'd come out of uni era wouldn't it going back that yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I think Mickey had just before, Mickey Adams had just been ousted and, yeah. and he was taking them over and their, their squad like Pesciolito in behind Collymore was just phenomenal side they had and then um, and as I was just saying that I played against West Ham and they had um, uh, pre-season I think they had, it was Ferdinand and Fox was the centre halves they were great players but they were just yeah that, that era was uh, was an era of big centre halves mm. certainly yeah. you know well, you thought, well, Rick Ferdinand, he was the player that kind of I was going to mention him anyway because he was kind of the player that changed began to change especially in this country change defenders because he was the kind of for us the first really footballing defender we'd seen and I'll, I'll turn to Ralph because obviously his early days were at West Ham what do you remember of those of, of Rio the Rolls Royce as he's been called in later days well you have to remember that he, he kind of came in we'd been we'd been fed on a diet of kind of Alvin Martin and Tony Gale I mean <laughs> Alvin was a real stopper that's what he was uh, Tony Gale had a lovely right foot he could take a, he could take a brilliant set piece we had Mark Grim Reaper a Danish centre half. Yeah, he was, he, he, was, he got something off quite a lot. For I remember, yeah, yeah. He, he was he was obdurate in every yeah, sense. Obdurate, and, then, yeah. and then we had this this young lad coming, and there'd been a bit of talk about him. And he was 16, 17 years old when he came into the team. And you know, you always worry, don't you, when kids come into a team? You think, oh god, they're going to get roasted in their first game. He was the best player on the pitch. It was, it was yeah. just unbelievable how calm he was. Uh, and that's what I mean as you, when you watch different levels of football the better players seem to have more time on the ball because they don't panic their first touch is so rock solid they give themselves opportunities to do other things and that's what Rio was like he, he was brave he was stronger than he looked even at that age and as you said what he started to do which we hadn't really ever mm. seen before was he would carry the ball out he would be, not be afraid to take on a forward commit a man and then give you an extra man as as you sort of begin that transition to attack. He was just fantastic, yeah. and you know, pretty much after about five games, I thought we'll be lucky to keep this lad for a season before they come sniffing around. In the end, he hung around for about four years, and then he went to Leeds so for, that big for money eighteen transfer, million yeah. pounds, uh, and uh, sadly he never came back. 
Um, mm. But yeah, you say sadly, QPR fan had him at the end of his career. You, you know, yeah. <laughs> he was done. <laughs> as much as he was brilliant at that era, he was done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No offence, Rio, not, if you're not, listening. Not the not the uh, the most uh, intelligent financial dealing <laughs> by QPR. Which well, that goes hand in hand, yeah. doesn't it? So anyway, moving back to the nineties, we can't talk defenders and nineties without talking about Arsenal. I know we talk, we do meet a lot of Arsenal fans on this pod, and we haven't got one tonight, but. You know, the famous back four that George Graham sort of built and then Arsene Wenger took through. One which, as a Man United fan, Matt, you kind of had many battles with, especially in the late 90s. But what a back four, really. You can't, even as a Man United fan, that back four was. You couldn't begr- I mean, there was, they were exceptional. Yeah. You hated them. <laughs> you, you absolutely, and that's what made 99 yeah. even better when Giggs went on his run and he beat them all. And you just saw the, these, these massive. Defenders of you think unbeatable, mm. and gigs just going past them one at a time. But over the, I mean, it, it, it's well known. Dixon, you know, I never know. Is it Keown? Is it Bold? Yeah, either. But that's the thing. It was either or, wasn't it? Keown or Bold. Keown, and then next Adams to Tony was Adam. a mainstay. Yeah. Winterburn, Dixon. There's always that one you weren't quite sure about. Ooh. The one that got broke his arm and he got dropped. That's Steve Morrow. the other one. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> Lindigan. Andy Lindigan. Yeah, he scored in the cup final. Yeah, identical. Yeah, but uh, oh, I mean. Uh, Incredible defenders. Yeah, you hear the stories about them training with being tied together with rope. And you think you know that it, it was it, you know it was the arm up in the air. It was looking you know, down the line. It was you knew you were in for a game when you into Arsenal. And again, United had good results there. You know, you mm. know Lee Sharp went there and caused havoc, won you, in a League Cup game. 6 2, wasn't it? 6 2, yeah. yeah and United were wearing that blue, the best May United, United kit they've ever had. Mm. The blue kit, yeah. The blue with little black streaky yeah. things. So, yeah. yeah, I remember it well. Yeah. Um, so United had good times against them, but you still you look back and if, if your team could have a, a defence like Arsenal to that era, that was yeah. I always wonder why England didn't try it. That was always a, you know no, we had good defenders, English, but they're all yeah. English. No England manager ever tried to do the Dixon, <clears throat> Tony Adams, of course, and then the either or, and then Nigel Winterburn left. But Nigel Winterburn was a left back that he had Stuart Pearce in front of him, of course, who we've talked about already. Um, but no, that Arsenal back four, and especially I mean you have to just mention Tony Adams because he was probably one of the best Premier League defenders of the 90s essentially I think we put him on Twitter earlier as one of the stars we're going to talk about so yeah definitely Tony Adams in there but as we're, we're getting towards that time again at the end and we'd like to just take a trip abroad to talk about a few names from sort of Europe and abroad that we want to mention and there was in this era there were some many many names many great defenders so again I mean I'm just going to throw it out to the guys and they can mention a couple of people I've got some written down but if there's ones they wanted to choose I'll start with Ralph you want to pick a couple of names maybe from abroad yeah I mean I'll go with the low hanging fruit I'll go with Paolo Maldini yeah. I mean <laughs> we, it was an era when we didn't see enough European yeah. football it wasn't like wall to wall coverage like it is now but when you did see Maldini he was kind of the stuff of legend you read about him in Shoot magazine you read how good he was and then you saw him, and he just, he just I never ever saw him make a mistake. I, yeah. Did it ever happen in no. his professional career? He's still playing, isn't he? I oh, know, he hasn't tired. <laughs> yeah. And um, he was just an astonishing player in terms of his positioning, his pace. He never got outpaced. Yeah. So good on the ball. Um, and. You know, I can't think of a. I mean, people talk about Baresi, maybe, but he was, I think, more, he was kind of late eighty. He kind of he was kind of the next one on from Baresi, wasn't he? He was yeah. there, but and, and a phenomenal defender. But, but Maldini was a one club man, wasn't yeah. he? And he was as good on his first day, or on his last day, as he was yeah. on his first. He was just outstanding. Never looked like he. Was he trouble? That was always the thing with Maldini. He looked like he always had all the time in the world. I know the Italian league is slower, 
but by God, he just never even he was never beaten. But it was that whole that whole it's AC Milan side as well. Yeah. So the, 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 the handsome unruffledness, you know, Costa mm, Curta. Yeah. These guys Costa they Curta, could get yeah. away with having centre partings and just kind of never having to beat a sweat in their forehead. So, I mean, Ian Walker just, could never get no, away with exactly. Yeah. You, you know, English players do always look harried or terrified. Yeah. The ball's coming in. These guys would never. I've never seen a picture of Maldini looking stressed. I don't know, like sweat. Yeah. Does, he, does Maldini even, sweat? Even the, it's the you know the later era of there was. The, there was the Bereses there was those guys that looked like they'd been quarried you know what I mean mm. the faces these old craggy faces that have played 400 Vioca Ward was another one yeah. oh, incredible defenders yeah. these guys that would just the foot would go in and yeah. the, the, the head would go in they would just always be there but but yeah no, I, 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 I concur with Ralph I'd say Maldini is just head and shoulders and seems we're on you now and anyone else you want to mention from abroad ooh um I think me and Matt had a brief chat before we came in about Roberto Yanni, who oh, is just another, yeah. another glorious player. Oh, so, oh Matt's oh, disappointed he's stolen it. Matt, Matt was a left foot. We were both left footers. We were both weaned on, like, uh, basically anyone who had a left foot, we had a sympathy for. <laughs> so, yeah, Yanni Go was on, Matt, his. wax lyrical. <laughs> I mean, well, Yanni was mine. <clears throat> I think Christian Zieger, before he went to Liverpool, was a big player yeah, yeah. of mine. Um, and again, like Martin said, we were predominantly looking at left footers. <laughs> Being left footed yourself, we lived on a state that, that, that only made left footers. The, the pitch slanted in such a way that if you weren't left footed, you couldn't play. So Stuart Downing would have been the best player in the world. He would have been amazing on, on Chobin Road. Or Steve yeah. Frogger. There's a name from the nineties. But any, any left, I mean, left backs. You think you know, Roberto Carlos? You start, think, you start yeah. thinking that sort of era. But uh, a little bit earlier, we sent to Martin earlier. Jorginho, remember him from yeah. the Brazilian right yeah. back? Played him um, by Munich. Mm. I mean, wonderful players. And again, for personally, club allegiances, we had um, we had massive battles with Juventus during the late nineties, and a team that you know that consisted of Zidane, Davids, and these sort of players. But it was always a back four. You never th- you never felt you could get through. You had yeah. Montero and uh, Ferrara. I think it's Ferrara. Mm-hmm. He's, he's an incredible Italian def- uh, Tacconardi. Do you remember him? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's Italian defenders you never thought you were going to get past. And when yeah. United did finally beat him, it was unbelievable to get through to that final. But yeah, like Italian good era was Carlos was one for me. Cafu as well. Those two. I mean, we talked yeah. about Dennis Owen earlier. It's kind of those two invented kind of the wing back, didn't they? I mean, that we talked about um, Carlos last week because Josh decided to make him a midfielder and, <laughs> and shoehorn him in just to mention the Tournois goal, which obviously yeah. is one of the you know re- remarkable goals of football history, let alone the nineties. Uh, a couple of other names I've got right here: Ronald Koeman, who of course was a, a fantastic oh. right back. Or left back, you could play either or, and then break England's hearts. Do I not like that and all that? Clip it. Um, I've got you know, Bremer, uh, Italian 90, who scored the winner for Germany. I've written Toribo West just because it made me laugh <laughs> for Nigeria with that crazy hair. Um, anyone, have we missed anyone yeah, out? I think Jurgen Kohler at Juventus. Yes, Jurgen Kohler. I mean, yeah, Jürgen I mean the, all these foreign players, we were kind of used to. Um, centre half just flying into tackles but the, the, obviously abroad um, they were sort of winning interceptions they were they were better positionally than, mm. than our players and yeah. Jürgen Kohler was another guy who, you looked at him he, he didn't really have any pace no. but he just he never got himself done in a one on one he was a he was a tremendous player and he was a rock for that sort of stoic German back line yeah and um, the other name I wanted to mention I think he was briefly mentioned last week um, because he, he played as a midfielder and a defender but I think he was more a defender when he came to England that was Marcel Desailly 
Yeah, he was, you know. Well, Hierro, if you're thinking about that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Yapstam. Yapstam. Yapstam, we haven't even mentioned. We've talked about Spanish players. Yeah, and we had had someone on Twitter mentioned Adal, of course, um, you know, the the beast of of Spain in the 90s. But yeah, Desai, yeah, I think he. Yeah, he made John Terry the kind of the beginning he had. I think having him alongside him was at the back. He was a, and obviously part of the the win in nineteen ninety eight uh, France squad. So, yeah, I'm going to just look around and any hands up? Have we, we've, have we mentioned it? Oh, Ralph's got his hand up. One more mention before yeah, we go. It, it's got to be the American Beckenbauer, uh, Alexi Lalas. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, what an Bingo. outstanding Bingo what an outstanding Any mention for USA 94 <laughs> Gets a gold star from me Yes Great hair Great facial hair And the uh, denim kit That is the greatest Ahead of his time, time. Yeah. yeah Hipster ahead of his uh, time We've talked about this On our stickers pod But he, my, my favourite memory Of Alexi Lalas Was the Upper Deck World Cup um, 94 card collection So they had like All the you know cards Normal in players And for some reason The Alexi Lalas card Was him Full on guitar yes. Full on denim jeans <laughs> And glasses Brilliant And that just summed up Super. You know, We're hosting a World Cup up, you know, we don't need to watch football and play like footballers. Brilliant. We'll, talk, we'll do a USA 94 pod in the new year, and I can't wait for that. Um, before we go, we had a competition on Twitter to win uh, a Cult Zero t shirt. Uh, we have 10 names in front of us. We've picked the final 10. Uh, I'm going to do this so random, we're going to do it live. I've going to ask the guys to pick a number between 1 and 10, and then they will win. So between 1 and 10, Matt? Six. So 1, 2, 3. So Olivia Kirby, you are a winner. Uh, Tim Breaker, number two. <laughs> oh, you give me the worst one to pronounce. I'm really sorry, whoever this is. Harishkesh Badad. You have. You also won yourself a Cult Zero T-shirt. And number nine. And number nine uh, would be Laura Pierce. So, congrats to you guys. We'll drop you an email um, this week so we can get you sorted in sizes and players, and hopefully we'll get in time for Christmas. We also have a new competition running um, from tonight. I will stick up the tweet on the Twitter that you just need to retweet. It's from the guys of Art of Football. If you haven't seen their T-shirts, they're brilliant. I've got one myself, and it's not a Roy Weckley one, surprisingly not. No, it's a Trevor Sinclair bicycle cricket T-shirt, and they're basically sort of images uh, of moments from not just the 90s, but all through the decades and given a bit of an arty twist and they all come in a nicely packaged and stuff so we've got three t-shirts for you um, to, to win so just retweet the tweet that will be on there later uh, the guys have also been very kind enough to give us a discount code in time for Christmas as well so if you don't win um, from today you can go on there and get yourself a 10% discount with the discount code AK90s I'll put this all on Twitter um, so you guys can uh, check it out and get yourself a t-shirt in time for Christmas for anyone or your loved ones but that just reminds me to say thank you tonight to everyone thank you Matt thank you Ralph Thank you, Martin. Been a pleasure. Um, we'll be doing goalkeepers next week, so we'll look forward to that. And then finally, the last pod of the season, oh, sorry, the year, will be the 21st of December when we do, we'll pick our team of the 90s of all the shortlist. But until then, keep it 90s. This podcast is a West 12 Media and Burble Media production.